Hi, I'm George Gale, and this is The Next Move, where we're talking about how we can build the future we want from this moment. My guest today is Robert Craig. Robert is the executive director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. He's also an author, a history buff, and has a PhD in rhetoric. When I first became a community organizer, it was really a, a field that was designed to win the best thing possible within the existing political and ideological landscape. We really were kind of oppositional forces to whoever was governing. And if the mayor or the city council person or the governor was conservative, we'd try to win the best thing we could from them. If they were more moderate or progressive, we'd try to win the best thing we could from them. But we actually weren't active in trying to shape either the ideological or political landscape that we were operating in. And we didn't win a lot of stuff because of that. And so the last 15 years, there's really been a shift in the organizing field to say, no, we want to shape the political landscape that we operate in. And so people have created sister political organizations that do elections and try to get people elected out of our membership or people that have similar values and a vision for the world. And as you start to do that, you get into the complexity of co-governing, of actually having some power and responsibility in shaping what happens. And it's tricky and it's hard and it's messy but we're like into that process and we're learning a lot all the time. So I called Robert Craig up, who's the executive director of Citizen Action Wisconsin, really to talk about healthcare in the context of a pandemic, because Robert's an expert and been organizing on healthcare for a long time. But he dropped a little bomb in the call around the need for us to think about a potential Biden presidency through the framework of coalition governments. And it really stuck with me. And I think it speaks to maybe the next co-governing challenge that we got to wrestle with. And I'm excited to talk to him about that next. When it comes to this pandemic, like what's been exposed about healthcare and our healthcare system in America? The part that I think we're, that's being to dawn on people is the way the health system is structured so that consumers face cost in every stage, even if they're insured right, at every single stage in a different way through this complicated Byzantine system where they're outgunned, where they can't, don't have the, the knowledge or the capacity to argue with insurance companies and hospital. That is actually a barrier to controlling a pandemic, a huge one not faced by other countries that do not have a system like ours because people are not going to get the testing and treatment you need the scale you need in order to be to, to operate safely under a pandemic, they won't do it if it, they're going to be thousands and thousands of dollars of bills they can't afford. And even if you're insured, that's the way it's structured. And there, you have the shocking fact that COVID-19 testing, treatment's not been made free, testing's been allegedly made free by federal legislation and in a lot of states, including Wisconsin state legislation, people are still getting $1,200 test bills. And so it becomes more and more clear, gee, you, that this is like, it, not only is the system dangerous, you can't respond to the moment with it. And in fact, what it exposes, George, is things that were killing people and harming people and destroying their lives and livelihoods all the time, but it wasn't visible to people. Mm-hmm. And so now it becomes more visible, which is an opportunity, but we still have to get to people with a simple story of what's wrong here and how you would solve that problem. And we need to get beyond doctrine with on the left mm-hmm. and think much more clearly about what would create a new common sense. So we're talking about building a new common sense. 
like, what meaning would you want the majority of Americans to take away from this pandemic as it relates to health care? We need to establish health care as a right on the same level as the First Amendment. It is a right that has to be guaranteed, and to guarantee it, it has to be provided by our democracy for everyone in the United States. And I mean everyone means everyone. Beautiful thing about a pandemic, you leave people out. Uh, not only is that immoral, but if you, let's say you don't have empathy for, the, for people who don't fit into your view, your circle of empathy of what the community is, community of interest, it risks you, your family, your community, if you, if you define the community so narrowly, as well. So it's this huge opening to expose what's wrong with modern conservative ideology, and not only how immoral it is, how dangerous it is. So what policy openings are on the table now that weren't on the table three months ago, state or federal? You know, I actually think we ought to be able to get guaranteed free testing and treatment and the conditions to enforce it and start to create this kind of public kind of thrust within the private commodified healthcare system. Because if you think about it, the more you put back under the sovereign control of government, the more you're, you're, it's a stepping stone towards ultimately making it something that the government guarantees and control uh, through uh, the people. You know, there's a very good bill, Pramila Jayapal's bill, George, yeah. which guarantees Medicare um, to everyone uninsured for COVID-19 and for COVID testing, just overall compass of healthcare, and covers the co-pays for, for COVID-19 for everyone, if, even if you're insured, that would be a huge wedge to, tell, to show the American people that the only thing that could make sure that you were getting free COVID testing and treatment that everyone would cover during a pandemic, which we need to contain the pandemic, was Medicare for all. What an opportunity. And it's no. not being proposed by our side it, for real. It's not. It wasn't even a major push from what I can tell to put it in the Heroes Act. I mean, Pramila Jayapal tried, and she, as you, as you and I know, is from our world. But she needs more of us aligned behind her on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I think Pramila's bill and the notion of guaranteeing Medicare for all for people through the pandemic is one of the best policy ideas sitting around. It's expanding on one of the most popular programs really in American history. We actually know it works. And I do hope, you know, my sense is we're going to have, you know, we're going to have multiple federal legislative packages. So oh, yeah. I think that's something I'd hope listeners to this podcast and others would be thinking like, oh, I want to get behind that idea. Because as you said earlier, like this is a public health moment. This is a healthcare crisis moment. And then all the other crises are like spinning off of that. And so- yeah. I, you know, for whatever reason, we weren't ready to move it in this last go around, but I think we got to get people organized around supporting Pramila. And I think Sanders introduced the Senate version of yeah. that and we're trying to, to push on that. And I would even like to see us really working, you know, candidate Biden to, to get yeah. behind that idea because you know, we have no idea how long this is going to last. So... I'm listening to this and I'm like almost paralyzed because, you know, I just read so much bad, you know, it's just bad news after bad news. And like, what would you tell people about things we actually can do to turn, you know, lemons into lemonade coming out of this next stretch? Like give people a pep talk. Really, the, the, the uh, Great Depression and the New Deal is the best model I can come up with 
because you had it, it started during a Republican administration. Okay. It was actually a, a much better Republican president than Trump, one of the most capable they'd ever put forward. Herbert Hoover was not an idiot and at all. And uh, he did push the envelope as far as Republican ideology at the time, but it just was all inadequate, right? So basically, the, you had to completely do things that they were unwilling to do, which is where we are with Trump and McConnell and actually with a lot of mainline Democrats, that to succeed, we have to do things they've never wanted to do that are outside their comfort zone in which they've called wild socialism before and communism, right? And so once you got Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and I want to be clear, we tend to lionize leaders. Leaders, I don't, I don't think le- we just wait for great leaders to come. I think great leaders are come when we, when we organize and we have created the conditions that make great leadership possible. It's both the moment and the movement together, right? Mm-hmm. And so Franklin Delano Roosevelt was made by movements and by people and by all of the previous work done by the previous 20 years. People don't realize that when the New Dealers were experimenting, they're experimenting with all the ideas developed during the progressive era. And so if we hadn't done all that thinking, that's what we can think about what we've been doing the last uh, 10, 20 years, George. We've been playing with ideas that now become relevant. If we hadn't had them out there, they wouldn't ever be applicable and usable. You don't just invent brand new things in the moment. They had to have been thought of before and at least conceived to some degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you think about the Works Progress Administration and its predecessors, it it, it was complicated. It was in at least three stages, uh, which ended up employing, if you add all of the stages, about 8 million Americans directly paid by the federal government. No No one realizes how radical that was in the 1930s. It literally violated all economic doctrine and all ideology. But it was the only way, relying upon Wall Street or the market or tax breaks or deregulation or laissez-faire, let let the market work, wasn't going to get us out of the Great Depression. And so we're in the same situation where both right-wing doctrine and kind of mainline democratic doctrine is totally unapt to the task. And therefore, these big things are not only necessary, they're possible if we can make the case. Because the other side positions not only will not work, it'll be clearer they're not working. They haven't worked all along, but they had enough kind of propaganda and enough ideological cohesion and create enough confusion for people not to fully realize it or enough, not enough people to realize it, right? And so this is a moment where it's like the rock is picked up and all the critters running underneath the rock all, uh, are now visible. It's all visible, all the warts. It's what we do with it. And so this should be a, a moment of hope. We can't control that there's a pandemic, even though we could have contained and prevented this, right? But now that it's here, and obviously it's our obligation to make it better and, and contain it or end it as quickly as possible. But in the meantime, we cannot waste the crisis. This might be the only real chance uh, in our lifetimes to actually fundamentally change the structure for the better and change the direction of this country. And it has to happen before 2030, or we will have a die-off because of a climate disaster that's worse than anything we've ever imagined. It could be mm-hmm. uh, could be 90% of the species. No. I feel like we have to nail this moment. Something that really resonated with me as you talked about the Great Depression and kind of what came after. I remember as the financial crisis hit, 
the good ideas that were laying around, like the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, really championed by Elizabeth Warren, like we were able to move that. That had been something she and others had been thinking about, and we were able to move that through like a battering ram. And then other cases, people were like looking around for ideas, or we were putting a new idea, at least into the kind of public sphere for the first time. And we hadn't done the work to set it up and position it. So whether it was a financial speculation tax, busting up the banks or nationalizing the banks, there had not been enough work done. And not that there hadn't been intellectual work done somewhere, but there had not been organizing and positioning of those ideas. And therefore, when it was time to move them, we just weren't capable. I feel like we're in such a better position right now. And that over the last 10 years, thanks to organizing and social movements, we've been positioning ideas like Medicare for all, like universal basic income, like free college, like debt cancellation, like those ideas have movements around them. They have bases, they have elected champions. How do we take advantage of that? Uh, paid family medical leave. You might have had on your list, but I'm just thinking about the ones that- Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a long uh, list, actually. Universal family care, as many are calling it. And so, yeah, I think that the crisis wasted of the Great Recession, actually, despite the fact that you can feel forlorn about it, actually created kind of a fulmination on the left that created a lot of these ideas and a lot of this organizing. Not created, but brought them to scale Mm -hmm. and brought them to consciousness. Obviously, the ideas go way, way back. Uh, They're somewhere, right? And so, in a way, the crisis wasn't wasted. We didn't get what we wanted out of it or needed out of it but because we got something out of it, right? And, you know, Mark Twain probably didn't say it, but he's alleged to have said that the past doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a rhyme here with the inauguration coming up, hopefully, of a mainline Democratic president. And can we rerun the whole play better? Mm-hmm. in 2008, 2009, 2010, right? That is that is the major question. And if you think about where we are now, George, because I think that what's emerged with Bernie Sanders is also the development of what amounts to two proto-parties within the Democratic Party. I think it'd be two separate parties in the parliamentary system. It's that we're forced into a two-party system in the U.S. system, that they're in one party. I think that Biden has to create something closer to what in a parliamentary system is called a coalition government. And if he doesn't do that, it hard, it makes it much less likely he either doesn't win or doesn't get win the Senate, right? Uh, because he won't win by a big enough majority. And also, it's going to make sure that the ideas that are most likely the New Deal ideas of the 21st century, right, the Green New Deal and uh, whatever else you want to call it ideas, aren't part of the mix, which is what happened with uh, the Obama administration. What can we do? Like, suppose Trump is gone and Biden is the president. What can organizing do? What can social movements do? What can any everyday people listening to this podcast do that helps us shape the context that a Joe Biden presidency would happen in? Ideally, we'd have a VP who would be in that other proto-party, but also a woman of color, ideally, right? It's got to be cabinet officials. It's got to be members of the economic team, people at the White House. There's got to be more like a coalition government where there are some clear progressives in it than roles of influence. 
And we've got to fight for that. The platform is part of it as well, but it can't just be the platform. It's got to be all of these other things as well. Real commitment. If Biden was smart, he'd do it. It would make him stronger. It would unify the party. It would get him a, 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 mm-hmm. a greater, richer range of ideas. He's shown some capacity for growth. I don't know if it'll be enough because he's been acculturated in 40 years in the center of the American establishment. But what can we build around him? Maybe it just puts more pressure on the movement and more pressure on who we get in that administration. Because I think I don't think she coined it, but she likes to say Elizabeth Warren likes to say that 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 personnel is policy. I want to play out this coalitional government thing for a minute, if if, if we can, because I haven't thought about it in that frame. And I, th- I think it's actually powerful. And I think it's something if we could have lots of progressive folks kind of working with that, thinking it through. So like, what are some key, I don't know, things you think we need to know about coalitional governance or really simple frameworks we could be thinking about around here, some of the ways we might operationalize that in a real tangible way? Well, my premise would be that we are owed, we as progressives, a piece of power in a Democratic administration, some level of power sharing. But if you look at the delegate count, how many delegates Bernie got, right, would suggest that a very large segment of this party, not the, not a majority of delegates, but a lot of delegates, right, a very large number, uh, support this bolder agenda. But we have to understand our position cannot be that they're going to do our whole agenda. They want. I'm talking about the other side of the Democratic Party. And we need to unify with everyone who is within that progressive wing, which is broader than a lot of people want to think. It is broader than I love Bernie Sanders and I will fight for his agenda. But I think the progressive proto-party within the Democratic Party is broader than Bernie's platform. It includes everything that Elizabeth Warren was doing at the very least. And so we've got to unify across that spectrum or we won't be able to wield the power we earned in this election and therefore we won't be able to get anything. So, and we have to be understand the power and what we can get and what is a step forward to structural reform and what isn't. Thinking through this co-governing challenge through the lens Robert laid out of coalitional governments, like different sub-parties coming together to form a majority. It's super interesting. I've never thought about it just like that. And it's something I'm going to chew on some more. But definitely the Republican Democratic parties, they're like in periods of intense change. And progressive electeds, people's organizations and social movements are on the rise. We're taking more power and we're shaping the context that governing happens in. And in the scenario where Vice President Biden beats Donald Trump, which I think we all agree is hardly a foregone conclusion. He would govern in the context of vibrant and increasingly sophisticated social movements. And I say that because I think the movement for black lives is taking social movement organization to a new level. As I think back to some of the things that Robert said, I feel like we have to look at a Biden presidency as being multiple things at one time. And yes, there will be big nods to centrist forces. And if we play our cards right, some big nods to more transformative ideas, our ideas. There's no question this is terrain we can play a role in shaping. You can learn more about the work that Robert and Citizen Action of Wisconsin are doing and what you can do at peoplesaction.org slash next move. You can find Robert Craig on Twitter at RKRAIG1912. This podcast was produced by People's Action and the Mashup Americans. It is executive produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lair. 
Our senior producer is Sarah Pellegrini. Our development producer is Melissa Lowe, production manager Shelby Sandlin. Bye now.